You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. What's up, Puda Nation? Welcome back inside another episode of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Rosvoglu Report, on Instagram at Saints underscore Straight Up, and on Facebook at Straight Up Saints. And if you haven't already, make sure to go on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave a five-star review. It really helps me out in terms of rankings with other Saints podcasts, and it also helps you get the episodes as soon as I upload them onto Anchor. So a lot to talk about in this one because... Believe it or not, the NFL season is literally a month away from happening. And if at one point it seemed like it wasn't going to happen at all, and there was so much, uh, you know, pessimism around the league, things are starting to get better. But there is some bad news that I have to start off this episode with, and I'll probably talk about it for a good bit of time. It's the fact that the Saints Bucks game, week one, September 13th, in the Superdome, will be played without fans. Cue the music. Seriously, I mean, think about this. We're talking about possibly Breeze's last season versus Tom Brady in his first season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there's not going to be a single fan at that game. Now, I know we're all going to be home cheering on the New Orleans Saints and hoping that they kick Tom Brady's ass and teach him why it was a lot easier to stay in the AFC East where you have the dysfunctional Jets, dysfunctional Dolphins, and the Bills. But that's all we're going to be able to do. You won't have that opportunity to be in the dome, make a difference with your noise, with your volume, and affect Tom Brady making changes at the line of scrimmage, and that absolutely sucks. Um, And the Saints released a statement on that matter and what went into the decision. They said, unfortunately, at this time, the trends across our state and region did not meet the standards of health and safety we have established with our healthcare and government partners to host fans in the stadium for the first home game. While state numbers are trending in the right direction, Further mitigation of cases is needed and a reduced infection rate is required for the team to welcome back fans. While there is a strong desire to see the Saints fans back in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, local and state leadership are clear in their communications that significant improvement is required for that to occur. The team, along with health and safety experts, will continuously monitor trends to determine if fans will be able to attend the September 27th game versus Green Bay. Although the current guidance we have received from government leads suggests this will be unlikely, we remain prepared to host fans if allowed. So not only does this mean that the Brady versus Breeze matchup will not have fans, there's a very good case that a Breeze versus Rogers primetime game will not have fans. And that stings me more than anything because you guys know how I am when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and where I think he ranks among other quarterbacks and obviously where I think Drew Brees ranks among other quarterbacks. But the reality is this is the weird world we're living in right now. And look, you can blame whoever you want. We could talk about the people who weren't wearing masks, the people who weren't taking the virus serious, all that. Whoever we want to blame at this point, that's it. This is the reality. We're stuck with it. There are no fans that will be at the Superdome for this game, and it sucks. It absolutely stinks, and this might be Drew Brees' last season. I know that hurts. He's not going to be able to come out on the season opener with fans there cheering them on, and it also changes the game because, look, the Saints have become such a good road team, and I think that's going to help them in the fact that a lot of these games are basically going to be neutral site. For example, Week 2 against the Raiders in Vegas also played without fans, so I think that will help. But let's not kid ourselves. The New Orleans Saints have one of the best home field advantages in the National Football League. We've seen it time and time again when they don't have that energy. They're not up for the challenge. That the, you know, the fan base will somehow give them that little push that they needed and get them over the top in a must-win game. And we've seen it time and time again, and we won't have the chance to see that week one. Fingers crossed, though, that the state of Louisiana 
figures a way to lower these cases. Everyone takes things seriously. And look, if this does not get you to change your opinion on this virus, I don't know what will. As a Saints football fan, if you're not sitting here saying, man, we have to do what we can to make sure that fans can be at the Dome, then I don't know what there, what else there is that will help change your mind. But seriously, guys, let's just hope that the Saints are able to get fans in the stadium at some point this year. Uh, because if not, it's just going to be weird. Football without fans, uh, especially a Saints team, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. They do. You know, the, you don't have the Saints without the Houdat Nation. You don't have the Houdat Nation without the Saints. And we all know that. So I really wanted to start off with that real quick for this episode. Obviously, it's not great. It's more on the downside of things. But we'll see what happens. It's still early. There's still seven other home games. There's a chance that they will have fans in the stands. And look, guys, they are not the only team that will not have fans. The Packers said, I believe, for the first two weeks, first two home games, no fans. And then they'll reevaluate. The Raiders, no fans the whole season. The Jets and Giants, no fans the whole season. A lot of these teams are probably going to go no fans the whole season or at least half of the season. So we'll see what happens later on this year. So let me change topic here on the Straight Up Saints podcast. Let's talk about training camp. Now, look. Us Saints fans love to overreact. We love to overanalyze everything. And that happened today because the Saints released photos of their workouts and training camp. And we're not talking about just, you know, one-on-ones and stuff. We're talking about, like, legitimate team workouts. We're seeing the offensive line get work. We're seeing the defensive line get work. We're seeing Michael Thomas versus Marshawn Lattimore. We are seeing actual football before our eyes, and I thought we wouldn't see it, and we are going to see it. Um, And it's just great. Now, there's a couple of takeaways. Now, look, this is always a, I'm not going to say overreaction, but a really early prediction, but there's some takeaways to look at, and there's some positives that I saw from camp pictures today, and now it's just a picture, it's just a photo, there's not much you can do to analyze there, but if you look hard enough, there are some tidbits that were there for you Saints fans if you looked hard enough, and the first one for me was Andrews Pete has lost significant weight. He looks lean, he looks skinny, he looks in great shape, and the one thing about Andrews Pete, outside of the knock that people, you know, say he's injury prone. They say that he messes up. And look, I get that he has messed up before, but we have to realize a lot of the times he messes up are after he gets hurt. Like we can all say, hey, Andrews Pete, you stink. But guys, are we going to go out there and actually block with a broken arm or a broken wrist? The answer is no. So we should cut the guy a little bit of slack. But now he looks in fantastic shape. And one of the worries about him back then was that he wouldn't be in shape. And we all thought, man, no OTAs, no mini camps. Will a guy like Andrews Pete be in shape? Forget about being in shape. It looks like he lost weight, looks in great shape. And a guy like him who is 6'7", athletic, pretty fast for his size, you lose some weight, I think it's going to help him a lot. So I really, really was encouraged to see that. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to come out and have a breakout year and play great, albeit I did say on Twitter that I think he's going to have a good season. I think it's a really good sign to see that Andrews Pete took this offseason very serious and has done what he needs to do personally to make sure that he can make an impact for the New Orleans Saints this year. Second observation I made from the training camp photos, Marcus Davenport looks somewhat ready to go. Marcus Davenport wasn't ready to go. We wouldn't see him in drills, but guess what? We saw him in drills, and that is a fantastic sign. Now, remember, Davenport missed time with a foot injury, and a guy like him, 6'6", you know, what is it, 250-plus? I mean, he's a big dude. For him to get a foot injury, that's a lot of weight, a lot of power coming off that one area, and you get nervous. I got nervous, too. I thought, hey, you know, is this going to be a thing that we have to worry about year in, year out? While we don't know the answer to that yet, because only time will tell that answer, the fact that he's ready, I'm very encouraged by that, because I know you guys have, you guys know where I stand on Marcus Davenport, I think he's a fantastic player, Um, and I think we're going to see him take his game to the next level, and before I get into my next observation about what I saw, what I really want to say about Davenport real quick is, I talked about breakout players yes, uh, either yesterday or Monday. Uh, I got my got my days mixed up here, but but one of the days I did, and I was talking about Davenport and why I think he's so why I think he's going to be so good this year. 
And the main reason is when we look at numbers, we're not looking at the right numbers. So as a fan, when you talk about a pass rush, you talk about a defensive end, what's your instinct? Well, how many sacks did he have this year? That's usually the tell sign for how good you are as a pass rusher, right? Wrong. That's not it. You know, you want to look at QB hits. You want to look at pressures uh, because that will tell you how disruptive a player is. For example, Jadavion Clowney only had three and a half sacks. And because of that, a lot of people say he's not worth the money. He's not worth the investment. And look, you're up to your own, you're entitled to your own opinion on what you want with Jadavion Clowney. But look into the numbers, look at the QB hits, look at the pressures. Those numbers are encouraging. Those numbers are the ones that tell me Clowney is a disruptive player. Well, if we look at uh, Marcus Davenport, 16 QB hits, 26 QB pressures. Okay, so 26 total pressures, 16 QB hits. What that's telling me is in his second year in only 13 games, he was getting to the quarterback. Now it's about finishing, finishing those jobs, turning the 16 QB hits into nine sacks instead of six. You see the difference what I'm talking, trying to tell you guys? Like there is something to look at in the numbers and I don't think the exact number to look at here are sacks when it comes to a pass rusher. For example, we all thought Nick Bosa was fantastic and by the way, he was and that's why he won Defensive Rookie of the Year but he wasn't this double-digit sack artist that was just destroying teams in terms of sack numbers. But you look at the pressures, you look at the QB hits, the guy was outstanding. So that's what you look at. Marcus Davenport, he might never be a a 14, 15 sack a year type guy, but can he get you 10 sacks? Can he be a guy who gets you 20 QB hits, 40 pressures? I think he can. For crying out loud, the guy had, if you did his his second year in the league, on a 16-game basis, because he only played 13, remember, he would have finished the 16 games with 32 pressures. That's pretty good. Now, can you turn that 32 pressures into 10 sacks? Can you do that? I think it's possible. And remember, you're only going to get better. When you're a guy like Davenport who is you know, raw, is still learning on the fly, you're only going to get better. And I tell people this a lot. Cam Jordan, first year, had one sack. Marcus Davenport had four. Second year, he had six. Cam Jordan, second year, he had eight. Now, Cam Jordan's getting 15 and a half sacks, and I don't know if Marcus Davenport will ever be as good as Cam Jordan. And frankly, I don't think so because Cam Jordan is going to go down as one of the greatest defensive players in Saints history. He's been that good. But Marcus Davenport, there's room to improve. I think he's going to improve as long as he stays healthy, and I think we'll see him have a breakout year in 2020. So, so much for that observation. Went a little over on that one. But let's talk about other things I saw. Taysom Hill. Wearing a glove, why does that interest me? One glove on his left hand, he hurt his hand late in the season. We wouldn't have known because he played like a badass through it and, and, you know, trucked through it. He looks like the Terminator. But, I mean, there's nothing in terms of the QB battle. We didn't get much there, uh, at least comments-wise. But it looks like both of them are going to get a fair shot. It's nice to see Taysom throwing the ball around. It's nice to see Jameis Winston throwing the ball around. But by the way, Jameis, we talk about Andrews Pete looking in fantastic shape. Jameis Winston clearly lost weight. Uh, looks in the best shape that I've ever seen him in, probably since high school. Uh, he looks nice. He looks, uh, you know, nice and lean compared to what he was a year or two ago. Really impressed by him. So it's going to be interesting to see what him and Taysom do. But Taysom, the one glove thing was getting a lot of hype on Twitter. I said he kind of looked like Thanos walking around with the Infinity uh, Gauntlet. You know, he just looked like a total badass walking around with one glove. Uh, and the thing about Taysom is, and I've noticed with a lot of you guys, Anything positive about Taysom, you guys just absolutely eat it up. I mean, this guy has quickly become a fan favorite, and I don't blame you guys. Uh, He's just got that infectious personality and spirit on the field that definitely gets everyone pumped uh, for a football season. So I want to see what happens with that QB battle. Other thing I saw, Emmanuel Sanders out there catching passes. Why am I excited about Emmanuel Sanders? Well, gee, I'll tell you what. Emmanuel Sanders as a football player, excellent. We know what he brings. 
But what really excites me about Emmanuel Sanders is what he does off the field, which I think is equal in value to what he brings on the gridiron. And what I mean by that is if we look at where Emmanuel Sanders has been and we look at the teams he's played with and what they've done outside of him, so not just him, what has the receiving corps done around him? He has elevated younger players, younger receivers that he's played with. And, and don't think I'm just making this up to please you guys. The proof is in the pudding, literally. So you go back to Denver where he played the last couple of years. And look, Cortland Sutton was always uh, a talented player, always had the build of a wide receiver one. But Cortland Sutton over the last year and a half has really taken off. And I can't help but think a lot of that has to do with Emmanuel Sanders, who, by the way, his, his teammates in Denver had nothing but good things to say about him when he got traded to San Francisco. And Cortland Sutton, for you guys wondering, what jump did he take? Year one, 700 receiving yards, which, by the way, is a very good year for uh, a rookie wideout. Year two, 1,112 receiving yards on 72 catches, so 15.4 yards per catch. That's pretty damn good. Uh, if you ask me. So I was really impressed by that. And then if you want to double down and realize that he does help younger receivers, let's look at rookie wideout Debo Samuel for the 49ers. What did he do? Well, Debo, he took a little time to get going, but once Emmanuel Sanders got there, he changed the offense. And Debo finished his rookie year with 57 catches for 802 yards. That's a really good rookie season. And it's not just about what he does for the main guy across from him, because Cortland was across from him in Denver, Debo across from him in um in san francisco there's also the other receivers out there the the role players like a kendrick Bourne from san francisco and now you guys are going who the hell's kendrick Bourne? the only Bourne i know is jason Bourne, and i get it i i do but kendrick Bourne, who's not a household name i get it uh 350 receiving yards last year five touchdowns i think he had one against the saints i'm almost 99 sure one of them was against the saints and and again not a big name but what emmanuel sanders has done and he's made it very clear every stop he's made in his nfl career he will take young guys under his wing. So yeah, I'm really thrilled to see Emmanuel Sanders catching passes in Saints uniform, but I'm even more thrilled that he's going to be on a team where he can help develop the younger players uh, around him. We've seen him have success in Pittsburgh. We've seen him have success in Denver. And in his one brief stint with the 49ers, we've seen him do well. And and look, he's made the Super Bowl with three different teams. We'd like to see him make it a fourth now. Uh, every team he's been to has made at least one Super Bowl appearance. So wherever he goes, success follows him. And I really do uh, like that move uh, for the Saints. But it's really about what he brings off the field. On the field, he will be the perfect Robin to Michael Thomas's Batman. But I really am excited to see what he does with the younger guys, like a Traquan Smith uh, Deontay Harris, can he help them take that next uh, step, especially Traquan, who we all want to see get better. We just haven't seen it yet, and that's why we get frustrated, but really excited about that acquisition. Another thing to spot from training camp, and this one I was talking about on Twitter. I couldn't help myself from getting into it, uh, but Tommy Stevens officially making the move to tight end. At least that's what it seems like. Online roster has him listed as a tight end wearing number 85 at six foot five, 235 pounds. By the way, he ran a 4.49 in the 40-yard dash. Let me tell you something. If you're a, a defensive player and you have to cover a guy who's 6'5", 235, and runs a 4.49.40, do you know how hard that's going to be? I mean, by the way, rem- let me just remind you, not only do you have to cover that guy, you're probably not going to be the best coverage player on the team because that guy's going to be on Michael Thomas. Your second best guy is going to be on Emmanuel Sanders. Your third best guy is going to be on Jerry Cook. And your fourth best guy is going to be on Alvin Kamara. So you're telling me someone who is probably one of the 
the lesser quality coverage guys on your team is going to go up against a Tommy Stevens who's going to be in on a very select amount of plays. I, I Even if he plays this year, which I'm still a little skeptical how much he will play this year, if he does, um, he'll be in on select packages, and those packages will be designed for him to be in a mismatch situation. For example, the Saints do this with Taysom Hill all the time. They get him drawn on someone's fourth or fifth corner, and he just absolutely burns the crap out of them. Heck, we've seen him against Harrison Smith, one of the best safeties in the National Football League, and it's still a mismatch just because his speed and size is just too good for a guy like Harrison Smith. So I think Tommy Stevens, that move to tight end, perfect, because here, here's the deal. The Saints have three quarterbacks. They don't need another one on their roster. Even now, with all the uncertainty with COVID-19, they don't need another one on their roster. Uh, if Tommy Stevens is going to make the 53-man roster for week one, the only way he was going to do that is play another position. And I spoke to Tommy. I had him on the podcast, I believe, back at the end of June. And we were talking about what position he was going to play. And he said at the time, he was only practicing for quarterback. I do think, though, with the way this offseason was short, and it kind of threw a wrench in his plans. And it's almost like you have one month to make the team. One month. And what's his best chance of making the NFL roster in one month? It's not by playing quarterback, especially not by playing quarterback on a team that has a Hall of Famer in Drew Brees, a former number one pick in Jameis Winston, and a do-it-all, you know, not even a jack-of-trades, a master-of-all in uh, Taysom Hill-type quarterback. The Saints have too much at that spot, so it just makes sense for Tommy Stevens to make the switch. Now, I reached out to Tommy. I haven't heard from him yet. Uh, Obviously, if he gets back to me, I'll share whatever he says um, on social media for you guys, but I just wanted to get his thoughts on the move to tight end, uh, see what he's feeling there. Obviously, I I told you guys earlier over the weekend, uh, I spoke to Kay Nellis for a little bit about his COVID-19 test, and just a little, you know, kind of going off trail here, but just give you a take on how, you know, weird these times are. We are in a world where not even the testing system's good. So remember, Kane Nels went on the COVID-19 list, which means he either tested positive or he uh, was in contact with someone who had the virus. Well, I texted him. I said, hey, you know, heard what happened. Hope you're okay. Hope you're doing well. Good luck for the next season. And he goes, hey, you know, Chris, you know, I'm doing well. Thank you for reaching out. By the way, you know, don't worry. It was just a false positive. By false positive, obviously, he got a positive test. Turns out he actually wasn't positive. Had two other tests to confirm it that came back negative. Um, But it just shows where the testing system's at, too. I mean, we're just in a time where there's nothing certain. There's nothing certain about this time. But but that's what I really wanted to just tell you there. So that's a lot of training camp observations there. Uh, Talked about Davenport. Talked about Andrews Pete, Taysom Hill, Emmanuel Sanders, Tommy Stevens. Let's get into one more thing that I want to talk about before I end up uh, in this Straight Up Saints episode. And that's about Alvin Kamara. So we all knew Alvin Kamara was a little off last year. We said, oh, where's his energy? Does he not want to play for the Saints because Mark Ingram's gone? Is he just out of it because of the last two playoff exits? What's going on? Is he hurt? What happened to our Alvin Kamara who dances on the sidelines? He's not the same. Well, now we know why the guy wasn't the same. He played the 2019 season on a damn torn MCL. It was confirmed by Master Test, who, by the way, if you don't know who that is, he he works for Bleacher Report. He's done a lot of things with Alvin Kamara. Uh, They're clearly close. Uh, So you got to trust the source there, absolutely. And we all knew Alvin had a knee injury. We did not know the extent of the injury, but he missed time after that Jacksonville game. I think it was two weeks plus the bye week. He ended up missing like three or four weeks of action. And it really makes sense why Alvin was not who he usually is. Because you're taking an athletic, versatile, shifty running back who you know, makes a living off playing in open space and making men miss, uh, you know, making hard cuts on that knee, And now he has to do that with a torn MCL. And it kind of makes you think, how the hell did he even have 1,300 scrimmage yards and 81 catches in a year with a torn MCL? 
And it's worth adding that, by the way, he also had a sprained ankle and a bad back, and the bad back ended up resulting from all the weight that he had to distribute from that bad knee. So everything just didn't line up for him last year, and he still had 1,300 scrimmage yards, which tells me this. Alvin Kamara, fully healthy, entering a contract year, said he doesn't want to talk about his contract, just wants to play well, and then he'll talk about his money when the season's over. That Alvin Kamara is going to have a monster 2020 season. And now by Monster 2020 season, I'm not sitting here to tell you draft him number one in fantasy. He's going to have 2,000 scrimmage yards. What I am telling you is Alvin Kamara, in terms of yards per touch, is going to go back to the Alvin Kamara that we're accustomed to seeing. 2019 was an outlier. That was just him being injured. He didn't have his stuff after week five, and that was it. And that's okay because week five, for the, through the first five weeks, we knew what he could do. We saw him play well against Dallas. We saw him light up Seattle, and we saw him play really well in the opener against the Houston Texans. Alvin Kamara is healthy. He wants a new contract. And by the way, the running back market is looking pretty lucrative right now. We saw what McCaffrey got. We saw what Derrick Henry got. The money is there for a guy like Alvin Kamara if he can produce. Still young, can still get a three, four-year deal with a lot of money up front. So the money's there. The team is there. In terms of winning a Super Bowl, you are not going to find a roster that is definitively better than the Saints. I know the Chiefs are great. I know the Ravens are great. I know the 49ers are great, but you're not going to find a roster that is definitively better than New Orleans Saints because they are deep everywhere. So you have the team in place to win a ring. By the way, they've been that way since he came to the team in 2017. Your money is at stake and you're healthy. Oh, and by the way, the Saints added more weapons like Emmanuel Sanders, Adam Troutman, Ty Montgomery, and all those weapons will help take the pressure off a guy like Kamara, who we've seen double teamed in the past because he's just a nightmare out of the backfield. Whether it's an option route, angle route, you pick it. All that's lining up for a great year. And the other thing about Alvin Kamara that I think is really going to help him, especially now that you have Ty Montgomery, you know what Latavius Murray can do, you can use him a little bit less. And with Kamara... Hate to sound like the toilet paper commercial, sometimes less is more. He will give you 20 touches for 100 plus yards rather than 25 touches for 100 and change. And realistically, a lot of those touches were useless because you threw the ball to him behind the line of scrimmage and you said, hey, Alvin, make something out of nothing. Take those plays out of the playbook, throw them out, burn them. I don't care what you do with them. Just don't show them to me. So a little bit less of Alvin will be more. And what I mean by that especially is in the receiving game because that's where it comes down to. You know, we talk about him as a runner and, you know, he's not in a thousand yard rusher and that's fine. Who cares? I don't care if he rushes for a thousand yards. That's not really where he's going to make his living. Where he's making his living is as an all purpose back. No one cares if he gets a thousand rushing yards. We want to see how many total yards does this man get. But as a receiver, every year he's at 81 catches. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Rookie year 81, second year 81, third year 81. How many yards does he get with that catch? Well, by each year they've gone down. 826 yards the first year, 709 the second, 533 in the third. But let's be real, he was hurt, that affected it. The yard per reception is interesting though. First year, 10.2 yards per per reception, excuse me, which means he's literally getting a first down every time he catches the ball. Second year, 8.8 yards per reception, which is pretty damn good. Nine yards per catch is really good. And then third year, 6.6 yards per reception. Let's meet in the middle and say Alvin gets back to somewhere in the eight number. I think that's pretty fair. And how about touches and yards per touch? Rookie year, 7.7, absurd. Second year, 5.8. Third year, 5.3. Can he get back to 5.8? Can he get to in the sixes? I think these are all attainable goals for Alvin Kamara. Like, I cannot stress enough. If you don't think he's going to have a big year, 
then you are banking on him getting hurt again. That's the only explanation for you to say he's not going to have a big year. The offense got better. The offensive line got more athletic with Ruiz, McCoy. The interior can move around now. They could swing on those pitches, which we know on those pitch plays, that's where Alvin likes to get loose. So now you have the offensive line to get out there and block for you. That should help him. So the O-line's better. The weapons around him are better. His health is better. And he knows if he balls out, he's going to get a four-year, 50-something million dollar deal. What more incentive does he need to play well this season? There is none. He's going to be great. He's going to have a bounce back season and he's going to be one of the top five running backs in the league. And you can absolutely take that to the bank. I am 100% sure if Alvin Kamara is healthy, we'll be talking about him on a weekly basis, doing something absurd where he looks like he's in the matrix, dodging defenders like it's nothing. It's just what he does when he's healthy and we should all be accustomed to it by now. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think once you're done listening to this episode of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Make sure to hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you end up listening to this podcast. Make sure you hit me up. Let me know what you think about AK. Do you think he's going to have a breakout season? And I shouldn't even use breakout. We already know he's a breakout star. Is he going to have a bounce back slash monster 2020 season for the New Orleans Saints? You guys know how I feel about that, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode and all the previous podcasts. Stay tuned for more content because, like I said, we are only one month away from the season opener between the Saints and the Buccaneers. But thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. You have a great weekend. And, of course, who dat?